Hi, everyone. I'm Gary Vitaco Robles. I'm Randall Libero. And I'm Nina Boski. And we are the creators of Maryland Behind the Icon. This is a special episode in which we get a chance to look back on Maryland's last day as we gear up for her 60th anniversary of her death. So be coming up in 2022. And you'll get a glimpse in this episode of what was going on on her last day back in August of uh, 1962. And we're going to give you a little sneak peek into season two, Maryland Behind the Icon. So with that said, let's get started. Well, we have some big announcements. Uh, we've added a fourth partner to our team, Mr. Leon Stuparch. And Leon has been our editor and sound designer for the last three episodes of our series, episodes six, seven, and eight. And we are uh, welcoming him. He's a very talented gentleman. He's an award-winning independent filmmaker who made his debut with the celebrated documentary Road to Peace in 2012. I was at the premiere of that film in uh, London. It provides a rare insider view into the life of the Dalai Lama. And it's a wonderful film. You can probably find it on one of the streaming services. Uh, he's also got an extensive background in the UK. He lives in the UK, in London, and also working in U.S. film and television over 20 years. Uh, Liam specializes in editing documentaries and factual entertainment programs for the BBC, Channel 4, Discovery, and a number of other global TV productions. And uh, like many directors with a background in editing, he brings a very unique storytelling style to his films. And he's really come up with some wonderful sound design elements to our series. Uh, if you've been enjoying the past three episodes, you've been hearing Leon's work. So welcome, Leon, to the team. Welcome, Leon. Yeah, you know, and, and uh, you know, the Masked Singer that is produced here in America, but they have the Masked Singer there, too, as well. Yeah, he works on that. He's one of the editors on that show as well. Exactly. So, uh, yeah, so exciting things happening, not only as we add our partner, but with some of our talent as well. Yes, guys, I'm delighted to report that members of our voiceover talent have been nominated for one voice awards this year. Isn't that great? Brad Hyland, our narrator, was nominated as best voiceover for narration in Maryland Behind the Icon. And Amy Selma, who plays Natasha Lightest in our first season's episode seven, I believe, she was nominated for Best Female Voiceover Talent of the Year. We're really proud of them and happy for them. So we're gearing up for season two, um, but since we're launching this episode on the anniversary of Marilyn's passing, we wanna frame up the last day of her life and provide a more accurate snapshot of the events leading up to her death. There's so much speculation into Marilyn's last day and you are releasing volume three of Marilyn, the lifetimes and films of Marilyn Monroe next year for her 60th anniversary. Yes. Explain to us, you know, you did such a great job with volume one and volume two. It's so intense and extensive. Why did you decide to do this now? And what can we expect? Well, first, thank you, Nina. But, you know, it's, it's really time to kind of call out and roll out all the information over the years, which have been repeated as fact. You know, there's been multiple police and district attorney investigations into her death, at least four that I'm aware of. And I've got access to these documents. And so I want the public to see the documentation of these facts along the decades since they've been handed all this outlandish rumor and lies. 
So, you know, I'm, I'm working hard to present the information in a way that's going to be easy to read, easy to understand and valuable. Coming from me, it's also within the framework of a mental health perspective, which helps. Well, I think so too. And the one thing I do want to tell people who may be listening to this, there are a lot of books and more recent books. I'm not even going to name them. But when you get documentation in a book from somebody that is claiming that they are part of an organization and that they know, but they cannot provide proof, that's usually a sensationalized account. And so I think we have to be very careful. And there's so many of them three in the last year that have come out that have been uh, telling a great story, but not necessarily following it up with facts. So, you know, don't you agree, Randall? Yeah, uh, Gary, I remember when he was on Goodnight Maryland Radio, he would constantly take a rumor and dispel it because he did the proper research. That program is available, Goodnight Maryland Radio. You can find it on your favorite mobile app or on voiceamerica.com, the network that it originated from. So we looked into all sorts of different subjects, but the end of Maryland's life is certainly a challenge to get right. And so in this episode, in episode eight, we focus on a number of things which uh, we have actual real evidence for. So as you listen to the episode and you hear the conversations of the characters, uh, a lot of that is very detailed research behind what they're saying, describing what's going on and a number of other things. But Gary, why do you think it's so difficult to discern what is true and what is rumor in, in, in Maryland's life? And why do so many people kind of get this wrong? Well, I think it's because there's just so much misinformation and downright lies. And they've been repeated so many times that they're accepted as fact. And so more books and more theories are based upon things that have really already been disproven. And, you know, the, the people who make these claims, some of them, you know, they lack such credibility that they were actually charged as criminals. But in the people who repeat their stories, don't tell you about their criminal backgrounds. They don't do any fact checking. So, you know, there's this false narrative of her last days that has just been allowed to continue. And sometimes I really believe that maybe no one really wants to know the truth because <laughs> the false narrative is really what interests people and yeah. sells her death as a true crime story. But, yeah. you know, in, in researching this woman's life for so long, I do get a sense of who she was and what she values and what would turn her off. And I, I really believe Marilyn Monroe would be just appalled. I really do. Well, and I also think that, you know, when you start talking about her last day and why is it so hard to dispel some of these rumors, to your point, people love a good story, you know, and when yeah. you look at the fact that you have a really glamorous and um, beautiful movie star connected even at the time of her death, you know, right after in the, in the tabloids to JFK. So now you've got politics, then you've got mystery, right? And you've got all that, that plays to that over time, being able to build upon that rumor. And I think the other challenge that we have, particularly being 60 years later, is there's very few people that really were around during that time that are still left, right? And so they may be really good because they know the time period, but they don't necessarily know her. So it's really easy to assume that somebody's credible 
when they're really not. And that's the biggest challenge is that some of these documentaries will pull people that appear credible, but really don't have any real information around Marilyn's death, you know? And so, you know, and the other, other big issue, Gary, you and I have had in conversations as, and I know I still get this today, Marilyn was so happy or she's such a tragic figure and they want to put her in a box of happy or sad. And, you know, given her temperament and her mental health issues, let's address why being happy or sad is not really looking at the Marilyn story more dynamically. Well, I really think it all is based upon our culture's denial of mental illness and the stigma that, that surrounds it. You know, as far as, you know, these reports that Marilyn was so happy in her last days, there's really not a lot of evidence to state that she was really happy or overjoyed in the last weeks or days of her life. You know, those were statements that public relations people put out at the time of her death because their job was to kind of preserve her career. And in her last days, they were there to preserve her livelihood. But if you really listen to the eyewitness accounts to people like Eunice Murray, she won't use the word depressed, but then she uses words to describe Marilyn that are all signs of depression. I think we have to go back to what Dr. Hyman Engelberg uh, said about Marilyn in his treatment of her and in Dr. Greenson's treatment of her that she was suffering from bipolar disorder. And uh, we've said time and time again that bipolar disorder involves episodes of depression and episodes of mania or hypomania. And for Marilyn, it seems very likely that she was experiencing both types of those episodes going on simultaneously. And that's called a mixed episode. And during mixed episodes, people with bipolar disorder tend to be very impulsive and they tend to have really poor judgment. And it's a critical time, you know, they, they're at great risk for making really poor choices. And Gary, you really opened my eyes to this subject because, you know, my limited view of how people can commit suicide, I always thought that they would leave a note. And when you talk about mixed episodes, that's not always the case and how they can potentially make up their mind within an hour of actually committing the act. And I or think- Or less. Yeah, the research less. really shows the impulsivity of suicide. And that's something the public really needs to know because if we're to address suicide prevention, we have to really know what causes it. And if it's planned out and calculated most of the time, that gives the public the impression that you've got a lot of time to take action to help yeah. stop it. But the impulsive nature of suicide really increases our need to pay very close attention and to take action very quickly because those who have survived really serious suicide attempts and they're alive only because they were brought back to life medically, a large number of them report that they were not thinking of suicide an hour before they attempted on their life. And some, another percentage, about 24%, say they weren't thinking of suicide five minutes before they well, made an attempt. And this is such a big issue. It's a very complex issue. And the, the reality is, is that we're looking back in 1962, but the fact is today, it's in epidemic proportions in terms of the opioid, you know, addiction, the ability to have mental illness and addiction that's not being addressed 
the system's broken in a lot of ways, you know, and we're still not getting it right. There's something that's, we have all this information, we have all this ability, we have all this knowledge, and yet we're not connecting the dots. Right. And, and that's really Marilyn's legacy. You know, if we're to look at her life story and the story of her death, she really provides to us valuable information about mental health and addiction. You know, when we turn it into entertainment and kind of a whodunit, you know, that really distracts us from how she actually becomes like a poster person, a face on the topic of mental health. And we could really use her tragic ending to help other people, individuals and families avoid such tragic endings to really beautiful lives. Yeah. And we talked about that because taking a, you know, people say, well, you know, she's, she was such a tragedy, but you know what? Here's the thing. Somebody's legacy can help transform somebody else's. She had a short life and yet at the same time, she packed a lot in. And it was actually one of the wonderful things that we see about her is how resilient and how much she overcame. So in some ways, I think she had a very successful life because a lot of people might not have made it to 36 years old, right? Exactly. Although her ending was tragic, her life itself was a huge success because she was able to achieve such greatness despite her childhood traumas and her challenges with mental illness during a period that we really knew even less than we do now, and there were no real effective treatments. So given all of those elements, it's amazing she accomplished what she did and, and that she shines brightly 60 years after her death. That's, that's almost unbelievable, isn't it? It really is and popular, probably more popular today than she was actually alive. So, so many more people know who she is. And, you know, next year we have a TV investigation docuseries coming out around her death. And for those of you who have been following us, uh, Randall Libero was the executive producer. I was the host and Gary was on the expert panel, but started it all and really breaking down Marilyn's um, passing and Gary will have his book coming out next year in 2022 will be dressing her death and one of the reasons why I want to make a really strong statement on this is that the gloves are off and when I say the gloves are off it means we're rolling up our sleeves there are so many documentaries or books out there that make these claims and actually don't bring the goods. So I want everybody to know that with Gary's book coming out, we have Maryland experts, we incredible, credible Maryland experts, credible investigation team in science and law. And I, I want to say credible because we do our homework. We did it in Goodnight Maryland radio. We always had the intention of breaking it down for you. Fact from fiction, probable theory so we can tell you what is a probable theory and what is absolutely an outlandish rumor and the beautiful thing about bringing this to tv is we'll be able to show you not just tell you show you so you the audience can start to make up your mind because i was one of those people that came into Marilyn's death thinking that the mob killed her and everybody back to what gary said earlier in the episode all of us have this preconceived belief system of what we think happened. And our goal in this TV docuseries is to really bring the facts, 
the fiction, the probable theory. So you can make an intelligent decision of really what happened to Marilyn and not try to push a narrative. And I think this is going to be a really, really powerful docu-series. So with that and Marilyn's last day in the 60th anniversary, hope that you will be with us on our journey in 2022. It's going to be big. We've got the podcast, we've got Gary's book, and we've got a TV docu-series all coming out to help you really understand the last day of Marilyn's life. And that's part of what we're going to be talking about in this episode. But Randall, we're going to shift gears a little bit and we're going to bridge this because we also have season two coming out and we have this wonderful episode that we're going to launch with. So tell us a little bit about what this is going to be for our Marilyn fans. For the audience in episode eight, we broke down several scenes in Marilyn's the last couple of days in her life. And there's a reason why we did it that way, because we wanted to start connecting the dots for people. We wanted to show what she was doing, what she was feeling, what she was thinking. So we're exploring every part of those days. So you kind of get a sense of what was happening in Marilyn's mind and her actual life during that day. That's the whole point of why we structured it the way we did with doing scenes rather than doing an episode all the way through. We also wanted to give you an insight about Peter Lawford, that he was very inebriated when he tried to reach Marilyn. This gives you a context of how that day transpired and the day before the actual events. So you can start to see what Marilyn was thinking and feeling. That's really, you know, our goal is to give you that full picture that you're you're sitting with her in the back of the limousine. You walk with her into the drugstore to pick up her drugs, like you're right there alongside her. So this is the way we're building these episodes to create a sense of realism as you experience as she was walking through the day, what she was doing, what she was thinking, what she was feeling. But in season two, next year, we're going to be, first of all, finishing the story of Marilyn's childhood. We're going to be covering her her years from nine and 10 years old, starting with her time at the orphanage, which is very significant. And then following that is a part of Marilyn's or Norma Jean's life that's never really been deeply explored by any television show, by any film, by any series so far the years of her life from age 11 to age 13. So this is kind of a period in Marilyn's life or Norma Jean's life that's been pushed aside. We had to spend a lot of time thinking and researching to get material that is as close as possible to what Marilyn was doing. She was living with a woman named Anna Lauer, who was Grace's real aunt. So it wasn't family, but it was family of her guardian. And why this part of Marilyn's life is extremely important, because it was the first time that she had experienced being in a home that was stable, that also she was given the chance to start to be herself and start to express herself and learn things that she had never heard about before. Reading books in Anna's library, and Anna was actually working with her and teaching her a number of things about life and being a young woman. And all of these things are very important because this was really the beginning, the real birth of Marilyn Monroe, when Norma Jean started to move beyond her trauma. So we have those episodes coming up for you. But the first new episode that we're going to be releasing in season two is going to be a very different kind of episode for us. It's going to be a new episode 
about the relationship between Marilyn and singer Ella Fitzgerald, which takes place during the early 1960s at the time of the civil rights movement in America, which is becoming front and center in the country. So Gary, you wanna talk a little bit about this time period and what Marilyn was doing. Yes, Randall, you know, I got the inspiration for the first draft of this episode, spring of 2020, and it was right after the murder of George Floyd and during the height of the Black Lives Matter demonstrations. And so I was feeling very strongly about what was going on in the country in present day. And I was thinking about Marilyn's relationship with Ella Fitzgerald. And so within about three or four hours, I kind of hammered out the draft that you and I worked from. You know, there's not a lot of evidence about the relationship between Marilyn and Ella Fitzgerald. You know, we've got photographs of them in 1954. We have photographs of them in 1961. Uh, we know roughly when they were in the same place. They both performed at President Kennedy's birthday gala. And just a few statements that they make about each other. Ella Fitzgerald credits Marilyn with promoting her and getting her into nightclubs that were not so open to hiring uh, African-American performers. And she says that she never had to play a small joint again because of Marilyn, that she was so ahead of her time to be, to be taking that stand. And we know that in a radio interview with Dave Galloway in 1955, Marilyn uh, says that Ella Fitzgerald is her favorite female singer and that she loves her voice and she doesn't just love her voice, but she loves her as a person. And Marilyn didn't speak so openly about the love that she had. I think she spoke, uh, spoke about loving her husbands, but th that key kind of provided some way to get into this story. And of course, we have to take some artistic license, but it's, it's based on facts. It's based upon events that were going on. Um, we know that uh, Marilyn's vocal coach, Hal Schaefer, instructed Marilyn to play Ella Fitzgerald albums and to almost copy her voice in some of the jazz recordings that they were doing during that period, during the filming of uh, There's No Business Like Show Business. So I think we brought something uh, together. Um, the early 60s was a time when Marilyn became very heavily involved in civil rights. Uh, she went on record speaking about that belief and she supported civil rights causes. And so we just had to take a little artistic license to build upon what was really already established by Marilyn's words and Ella's words and what we know is historically accurate. Yeah. And then there's also the happy birthday, Mr. President, that a lot of people make assumptions. I know I did. I thought before I knew the Marilyn story, it's like it was this kind of impromptu. She got up there and she was seducing JFK with this song and thinking it was more ad-libbed. And this is something that she just, you know, wanted to <laughs> potentially get to him. Right. That was her, yeah. her kind of uh, <laughs> seduction, so to speak. And, you know, to this day, I, I still get people that think that. So let's set the, the record straight. Oh, this this was definitely a command performance. Uh, Kenneth O'Donnell, an assistant to President Kennedy, sought Marilyn out this was a democratic fundraiser. You know, the, the election of 1960 had drained a lot of the financial resources of the Democratic Party. So two years into the, uh, a year and a half, I guess, into the administration, they needed to recoup. 
And so this was a very uh, structured, strategic, planned event in New York. In a way, it was kind of like an office party. It wasn't really ever meant to be, it was never televised. It was filmed and we see that on TV and documentaries, but that footage was never really played to the public. And so Marilyn was one of the lead performers and the audience was teased. She was placed in the program as appearing far sooner than she was intended. And that was to build anticipation. And so each time she was uh, announced to perform, there'd be a spotlight, there'd be a drum roll, she'd be announced and she wouldn't be there. And so they did this repeatedly. You know, that's a great way to build suspense, isn't it? But the it, when you see her performance, you understand that she's the ending. She's the piece de resistance at the end. She's there to sing happy birthday to the president at the point that a huge birthday cake is presented to him. And then he addresses the audience. So it wasn't spontaneous. It was choreographed down to the detail. And there are photographs published by Time Life of the rehearsal the previous day. And you can see Marilyn in poses that are duplicated in the footage that we see of the actual performance. So she choreographed each of those gestures and moments with the song. And of course, there, there were some special lyrics to thanks for the memory that was written specifically for thanks Mr. President and his accomplishments. So um, there was nothing spontaneous about that. It was something that the Democratic Party wanted that the director and producer of that event staged. And uh, I would have to say it's, it's a great piece of performance art by Marilyn. She's kind of performing as Marilyn Monroe and not necessarily herself for this command performance. Exactly. And I think that, you know, again, it speaks to the sensationalism of the story. But when you start to look at the facts of how that actually kind of unfolded, you realize that there was a lot more uh, to that happy birthday, Mr. President, than a lot of people want to believe. And I think that, you know, you're going to really get some insights into that performance and also Ella Fitzgerald and Marilyn's uh, context of how they might've come together. And I think that's really important. And as we start to talk more about Ella Fitzgerald, just wanna, I'm just so excited because we have a TV docuseries coming out. Gary, you've got your book coming out. We've got season two coming out. I'm so excited. We've got voiceover talent that's getting awards, which is so wonderful. We've added Leon to the mix. And so I have one more big announcement. I'm so excited. So we have a wonderful musical artist and performer. Her name is Monique DeBose, and she has been cast in the role of Ella Fitzgerald. And what's really wonderful, what inspired her to become a jazz performance artist, was Ella Fitzgerald. And so as Marilyn and Ella call themselves soul sisters, they both stood up for civil rights. Ella definitely in the thick of it growing up through her, you know, singing career. And we will also make sure that on our Behind the Icon Facebook page, you'll get a chance to hear and witness uh, Monique's special talents. She is such a, a wonderful artist. Given Gary what inspired you in regards to this episode, her music video is called Rally Call and it's around civil rights. But if you think about, you know, back then we dealt with 
mental illness and addiction, 1962. And here we are 60 years later dealing with this. Well, the same thing, civil rights back in 1962 versus now going into 2022 and still dealing with these challenges and Monique's voice will bring such richness to this episode as Ella Fitzgerald. And I'm so excited to have her with us uh, on this episode. This was really key casting. It really is serendipitous that we have the right performer for this role. Yeah, because just like uh, Marilyn, she's iconic as well. So we have a lot going on in the Marilyn Behind the Icon story, as you just heard. Uh, we're excited for you to take the journey with us into season two that will be coming out soon in 2022. Please make sure to listen and share with your friends and loved ones our podcast. Uh, we need your support. We can't do this without you, without your engagement. So please give us a review, help us get the word out, uh, share with your friends and family. And Gary, you want to tell us uh, what's going to be happening uh, this year with the 59th anniversary of Marilyn's death? Yeah, we're, we're honoring the 59th anniversary of Marilyn Monroe's passing. And uh, we enter the year 2022, which will be the 60th anniversary mm -hmm. of her passing. So I'd like to use Marilyn's idiosyncratic way of asking for support when she was about to perform or do something that required courage, she asked her friends to hold a good thought for her. And so millions of people born, many of us after her passing, continue to hold a good thought for this woman. Yes, and so for Randall Libero, Gary Vitaka Robles and me, Nina Bosky, let us hold a good thought for Marilyn and remember to hold a good thought for yourself. <laughs>